Good morning, George. Good morning, Brett. Good morning, listeners. Or should I say g'day? G'day. How are you, Brett? I'm good. It's been a long time. Yeah. It's actually been a week. And welcome, listeners, to another episode of Float, Float Your, Your Boat. Boat. Right, so, Brady boy, who do we have on today? Before we start. Yes. So, listeners, we've had some great feedback in the last couple of weeks. A lot more um, mail coming in. Yeah. We're building a, a really solid audience. But if you like Float Your Boat, please go out and tell all your friends about Float Your Boat and get them to... Share our Facebook page. Yes, we haven't done a, a plug in a while, have yes, we? Yes, or so go on to your favourite podcasting app. Shamelessly self-promote, float your boat, please, folks. Subscribe, like, yeah. and review. Yes. And that'll get us up the ranks on the iTunes app. Mm-hmm. And we'll be you'll see our beautiful faces on the iTunes oh, new and noteworthy. Let's I, not go that far. I think it's a good thing. Anyway... Listeners, thanks for all your support, and uh, the numbers are getting bigger. We're creating a bit of a tide. <laughs> so let's push that analogy, that sea analogy, a little bit further. Let's do so that. As you know, as you know, folks, uh, the name of our podcast is Float Your Boat, but uh, we also wanted to talk about clean oceans. This is our initiative that we're undertaking, and tell everyone what it's about, Brett. So Clean Oceans I'm just is, checking to see whether you know what it's about. Since we did the presentation last night, I we thought did. I've got, I'm boned up on it for today. <laughs> it shows. <laughs> clean Ocean. <laughs> oh, that is, that is not good. Our, um, our aim is to... Stop waffling. Our aim by 2020 is to um, ban all plastic on all beaches. Single-use plastic. Single-use plastic. Mainly PET bottles. Yeah. yeah, on all of our beaches and waterways in Australia and uh, further down the track, in we've got a big goal and that's to ban it on all beaches in the world by using the beach as the last line of defence from uh, the single-use plastic entering our waterways. Yeah, look, you know, that that's something that we're really uh, uh, personally um, um, committed to. It's also something that it inspires us. But but it is part of a increasing global movement against um, the use of plastics or somehow to create a closed-loop system where plastics don't end up in the oceans because, um, you know, there is a rapidly growing awareness that it, our oceans are choking. We're, we're really excited because last night we went and presented our um, initiative to Surf Life Saving, well, Nippers um, Australia um, and our branch, which is from North Bondi to Cronulla, well, actually to Gary and... That's right. So it encompasses, what, about 6,500 kids and 13,000 parents? 22,000 parents. 22,000 um, parents. And How does that work out? Well, that's what they said last night. Okay. Well, anyway, that's, some, a, that's a bucket load carers, of people. Carers, parents. bucket load of, pe- of people mm-hmm. and a bucket load of people that can be influenced by undertaking a simple action... And that action is to avoid using PET bottles anywhere near the beach and disposing of them carefully. And so far, it's been a huge... Uh, we've had an open door everywhere we've gone, haven't that's we? That's right, that's right. And part of, the, part of the global movement, I mean, anyone that um, is interested in, in this subject could um, do a Google search and see there's a plethora of, of um, other organisations out there d- 
along similar lines, in the same laneway. You sounded a bit like Daffy Duck there, a plethora. (laughs) (laughs) For those who don't know who Daffy Duck is. I almost tripped myself up because that's a very complicated word. Do you know what it means? Uh, no, I don't. Okay. You tell me, George. Neither do I. <laughs> it just sounded good at the time. So anyway, so you'll be hearing more about clean uh, clean oceans, everybody, um, as we go along. But today, it sort of works in with today's episode, doesn't it? Does. It? it does. Because today we have Darren. Lohman. And Darren is? He has a, an organisation called Green Batch in Western Australia. Mm. And he... It, fundamentally, what he does is he uh, collects up plastic mm. and turns it into filament. He probably doesn't personally do that. Oh, he doesn't? I, I thought he'd have one of those big hats and and a stick and he'd go and, and poke. A big ba- and a big, big bag ba- made out of fishing net. <laughs> Recycle fishing net, I hope. <laughs> no, he's not the village bag lady. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, bag man. So, no, he ha- he's created a... Um, place where the plastic can be turned into filament for 3D printers. Right. Um, and reused. And reused. And, and we won't go any further with what he does because he'll tell us all about it, but um, it fits in with our Clean Oceans um, campaign and we thought we're going to, every few episodes now, moving forward with Float Your Boat, we're going to try and get people in that uh, talk about these sorts of things. Should we... Should we talk about his bio um, and, yeah, and how he, he led... some other stuff. Yes, and how he led to <clears throat> the lead-up to where he is today. I mean, he's a, he, he was very socially aware. Hmm. Um, he's a social entrepreneur, uh, to put it bluntly, and, hmm. uh, and he's always had a hand at helping uh, individuals that were um, um, disabled or... Um, the word I'm trying to find, uh, uh, disadvantaged. Mm. So he's um, he'll explain more about that. But um, he's he's been a groundbreaker in in a couple of remarkable areas. So well, I'm, I'm I'm excited to hear what those areas are. We are on, uh, just a little bit of a, a, a spoiler alert. Mm. We we are using our primitive phone system today. The two tin cans and a string, <sighs> yeah. stretched all the way to WA. Yeah. So if the sound isn't as good as it normally is, it's because we've got a crappy line from Telstra. Yes, but hopefully it'll work very well. So listen in. Float Your Boat podcast about how everyday people created their road to success. The highs, the lows, pitfalls and potholes and how they overcame it all. And now, here are your hosts. Let's say hello. Hello, Darren. Hello, Darren. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. No, thank you for coming on. It's a pleasure to have you here, Darren. So, um, uh, tell us, uh, Darren, tell us a little bit about... um, your lead up to the current project that you or the current businesses that you're involved with right now i mean obviously it was a it was an evolution in the way you were thinking however you started you started 
um, being socially responsible completely by accident, according to your bio? Yeah, well, back when I was a, a teenager doing my engineering degree, I wanted to do good in the world before I went and got that corporate engineering job out in the mines or the oil and gas industry here in West Australia. And I decided to use my engineering to help someone or something or help somehow and accidentally got a better paraplegic in a hospital car park that wanted to ride a motorbike. And so I took that on as my engineering project. And as a result of that, people with disabilities started asking me for help once I finished that project. And I set up a foundation and I've been helping people with disabilities for the last 14 years of my life and did over a 1,000 projects and um, impacted over 10,000 individuals and families with disabilities. And um, yes, yeah, so I've been in the, the social game for a little while now, you could say. Where did this passion for these sorts of things start, Darren? Was it from when you were younger, like when you were a child? Was there something as you were growing up that, you know, started you off with this, these thoughts of helping the world again? Do you know, the, the very first kind of engineering-y type project I can remember was back when I was just a little toddler, um, and it was with my nana. Um, and I remember whenever I used to go to her house, she had this uh, little red cupboard um, and the door used to swing open. Um, so she'd gone to her garden, got a rock and basically put it in front of the door to stop it swinging open. And me, as a little toddler, I knew that wasn't right. That's not how it was supposed to work. And I would always try and fix it for her. And I had no idea what I was doing, being just a toddler. But when I finally got old enough to learn how magnets worked, I realised the little steel plate, the uh, top screw had come out and then the plate had spun around and then the magnet wasn't lining up with the plate. So all I had to do was turn around, put a screw back in and I fixed my nana's cupboard. And her reaction is, oh my God, thank you so much for helping fix my cupboard. She went over the top. Like, and to be honest, now I'm a bit older. I know she was quite happy with her rock. But that <laughs> felt so good knowing that I had used my kind of brain to help my nana. I felt so proud. It felt amazing. So I think that's just something. I still remember that and I was just a toddler back then. Um, so being able to help other people is incredibly rewarding. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, obviously that that spurred you on to do more. So tell us, um, tell us uh, how how uh, your your life panned out since that time that you fixed your nana's door. Um, well, from there, I went into scouts and did lots of community projects and I volunteered at animal shelters and did all sorts of stuff. And went through high school. Went into engineering at UWA, uh, University of West Australia, did my degree, built a motorbike for a paraplegic, set up a foundation helping people with disabilities, and then uh, in 2015, that got acquired and merged into a really big disability organisation. I stayed there for about a year or so, working with them in the handover, and then in August last year, I stepped out, um, decided working in a big entity um, as an employee wasn't right for me, I'm a bit too entrepreneurial for that. Um, and decided to, to step out and pursue a new project in life. Um, had no idea what that was going to be. I was a, a dad at the time. I had a little six-month-old girl, so I spent six months being a stay-at-home dad, which was absolutely amazing. Loved it. Um, would have liked to do that forever, uh, except the bank manager did not approve of this strategy. Uh, <laughs> so I had to find some sort of job or career path to get going. I'm only in my early 30s, um, so not quite ready to retire yet. Hmm. unfortunately um, so I was thinking about like I'd been around 3D printing for a number of years like designing bespoke one-off stuff for people with disabilities 
3D printing is obviously a really interesting technology that's got huge opportunities to help people. It's changed the way we manufacture things. It's opened up new projects we couldn't have done without it. So as an engineer and designer, I've been incredibly passionate about the potential of 3D printing. I've seen how rapidly it's growing. It's estimated to be one of the top seven digital disruptors to the Australian economy, up there with autonomous vehicles and Internet of Things and mobile apps. It's a phenomenal new world. It's a $50 billion industry coming up through. And as an entrepreneur, I'm like, well, let's get into that space whilst it's growing so rapidly. And I was looking at how I get into that world. I was looking at a few projects around some medical applications of 3D printing and all that sort of stuff. But then my kind of trigger happened. And it was in the most uninspiring way you imagined. It was about 11 o'clock at night. I think it was like Christmas Eve. I was on the couch, feet up. Everyone in the family was in bed. Late night TV was on in the background. And I was on Facebook, just kind of passing time. And an advert came on TV in the background. And they were talking about reusable shopping bags. And as part of their ad, they mentioned that by 2050, there's going to be more plastic in our oceans than fish. Mm. And I was just like, wow, like, what did I just hear? And, like, that got me thinking, like, is this real? Or is this some stat or something that some marketing person's made up to get my attention because it worked? Or what's going on? Fake news? Like, I was just curious. So I just typed that quote into my phone and just started doing some research. And I was shocked at how massive our global plastic problem is right now. I started finding things out about plastic and waste and recycling that I had no idea about. Um, And that got me sort of really interested into this plastic world. Um, And here I am, 12 months on, uh, on the verge of launching WA's first plastic reprocessing plant so we can actually start recycling. That's uh, that's phenomenal, Darren. Darren, were you surprised at how um, ubiquitous the uh, plastic is? I mean, you can't you can't take a step in any direction without coming across at least one plastic product, and for yeah, most I, of us, we don't even think about uh, the repercussions or the or where most of it ends up. No, well, I had no idea. I was completely oblivious to it. And to be honest, like when I started discovering like the fact that. This, like last year, we made about 250 million tons of plastic, and every year, or every couple of years, that is doubling. It's exponential growth in how much plastic is coming to this world. Um, and plastic was only invented 110 years ago. Plastic, it's estimated, is going to take over a thousand years for it to break down, if it does break down at all. So, the very, very first place piece of plastic that was made 110 years ago has still got another 900 years before it might break down. And we're making so much of this stuff every year. And what was really shocking, I like, I had a recycling bin at home since I was a little kid. I don't remember a time where we didn't separate at home. I just thought our plastic got recycled because we were putting a recycling bin. Mm. And then I discovered that globally, of that 250 million tons, only a fraction, we're talking like 1% to 2% will actually get recycled, which is just phenomenal. That's just... Barely, like you put that on a graph and that 1% to 2% compared to 250 million tons barely doesn't get off the, the bottom of that axis. It's terrible. And if plastic is not being reprocessed and turned into new products, it's only got three places it can go. It either ends up in our landfills or on our streets as litter 
or it ends up in our waterways and our oceans. And we're estimated there's going to be more plastic in our oceans than fish by 2050. There's huge patches of rubbish collecting our oceans right now. And if it's not in land, if it's not in water, the only other place it can go is up in the air. And there's these huge industries that basically burn plastic and they capture energy from it, but they release all the carbon dioxide and pollution and all that sort of stuff in the process. So when I found out that they were the three most common options, not reprocessing, I was absolutely shocked. So, so Darren, it's a big undertaking to start a reprocessing plant. I mean, where did you start? Like, what was your... So you, you had the light bulb moment, and I'm always yep. fascinated by entrepreneurs, They, which George and I figure we are as well, but... I know how my process works. How did how did it start for you? Like, what was the first step? Like, how does one go about doing these things? I guess. Yeah. Well, George, it's ironic. When I first started researching this, I actually thought Australia was a really good plastic recycler because we don't have dirty streets and you don't see the plastic in our oceans and all that sort of stuff. So, I actually started just researching and trying to find out what we were doing with our plastic with the hope that the rest of the world could potentially learn something from us. Mm. But I could not find anything specific about who was reprocessing our plastic here in Western Australia. And I started searching Australia-wide as well. So then I started getting my car and actually following the recycling bin to where it kind of ended up and meeting with the CEO of that facility and asking them. And when they couldn't give me a single name or address of a single factory in WA or really across Australia that does the reprocessing, I was like, wow, like, how can this not be happening? Like, how can no one even know that it's not happening? And yeah. in this process, I've now found one factory in Smithfield, New South Wales, run by Vizzy that does some PET reprocessing. But that's it in all of Australia. And they're only doing such a small percentage of our national PET usage. So there's, there's a huge gap. And then from, so the social entrepreneur in me goes, well, this is a, a space that we need to address. And then there's a huge kind of need for it. Um, so then you've got to work out how do you make it viable um, and make it kind of work. So I started researching that. And remembering I had that sort of interest in 3D printing filament, it's estimated we're going to spend over $5 billion a year on the filament that goes into 3D printers across the globe per year. Um, of that, $100 million is here, right here in Australia. So I'm like, here's this brand-new emerging market that 3D printer filament, you can actually use PET. PET is one of the premium materials for 3D printer filament. And here we are throwing it away and putting it in our oceans and landfills and burning it into pollution. And it's a valued product in the 3D printing world. So I thought, well, what if we start making 3D printer filament out of our PET? Um, so then I just started researching the, uh, the process, the engineering, the machinery, the costings and all that sort of stuff. I've got a corporate advisory board. We've put together some financials and organised to get a facility. Um, and we've been working on this. It's not just a, a one-week kind of thing. We've been working on this for about 10 months now. Um, and we are kind of got to that point where we're confident we can do this. Um, we've just launched a crowdfunding campaign two weeks ago um, to help raise some funds to, to get this triggered off. Um, and in two weeks, we raised $50,000 from the public, from mums and dads, people who want to see us reprocessing our plastic here in Australia rather than sending it off to China to their waste incinerators and to whoever will basically take 
our waste rubbish away from us. Um, so it's been an amazing response from the public. Um, and this is really, I've done all the, the background work and it's, this is a social enterprise. We're not taking any commercial investment at all. We don't want this to be driven by profits and lining um, investors' pockets. We want to put the money back into more recycling and more impact and more education around this sort of stuff. Um, so it's really now up to the people of Australia to decide whether they get behind this and make this happen or we don't. I think um, you're you're on the <clears throat> at the at the vanguard of of, of um, uh, social entrepreneurialism, where um, where you you know you're resp- socially responsible first, and and an entrepreneur second. Uh, it's quite admirable. Um, but you know, getting back to what you said about uh, you know the lack of information that even the 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 CEOs of recy- of, of uh, waste disposal um, centres had. Um, do you think that was uh, intentional in, in your mind? Like, what's your opinion on that? Like, why is it that that um, there's not enough information about what happens to our uh, our waste? Yeah, it, this is a really, really complicated global problem. Like, with our like, I don't know. Do you have yellow lid recycling bins in we do. Queensland as well? So it's a national yeah. system. So that's what we have. Like, mm. And most residents and most members of the public are pretty diligent in sorting out their recyclables from their landfills. Like, we have been, as a, a country, been messaging this, educating our students and everyone for a very, very long time, um, which is essential. We need to do that. Mm. But if you start telling people that, well, we're just missing that last kind of step, people can kind of lose hope and go, what's the point? And stop doing that. And we actually reverse backwards and, and lose progress. Um, and that said, there are materials in our recycling streams that do get recycled. For example, aluminium is pretty much 100% recycled uh, because it is a valued commodity and the energy and the, the business kind of stacks up behind that. Yes. Uh, our steel, like your tin cans and stuff, that is recycled. Paper and cardboard, it's kind of a bit iffy. Like a lot of it, the good stuff does get recycled. There's a lot that they don't. Glass is a, a very interesting one to investigate. The business model behind that is very hard. Um, but, like, yeah, I'm confident. Like, so WA has just signed on to the container deposit scheme, which is the 10-cent deposit return on beverage bottles. Uh, most of the states across Australia have now committed to taking that program on. New South Wales is taking that on later this year. South Australia has had it for 40 years. Mm. Um, so that's fantastic because that encourages the collection. Um, and we're actually leveraging that collection system and the deposit to help make this program uh, get up and off the ground as well. It now puts a value on that plastic. So, so Darren, do you, do you um, undertake take, like getting the plastic and then taking it to your processing plant? Or do you, are you relying on local councils and government to send it your way for reprocessing? Yeah, so we've actually taken full responsibility from collection right through to redistribution of the final product. Like we can't rely on other people for this sort of stuff. So we're actually working, as this we've just launched this, so we're still relatively small scale um, mm-hmm. and things will adapt as we grow bigger and larger volumes. But initially, we're partnering with 50 local schools and we're getting the schools um, collection points on their grounds and getting their kids 
to actually bring in their um, waste bottles from their own homes, their neighbours, their family, their relatives, and lots of stuff, and actually empowering the kids to collect it. We will then go around every month to those 50 schools and collect up the bottles that they have collected, uh, bring it back to our factory and reprocess it and turn it into the 3D printer filament. What's really cool about this whole uh, mechanism is with this container deposit scheme, each one of those bottles is worth 10 cents. So if a, a school community collects 350 bottles, that gives them $35 worth of credit. A roll of filament is $35. So we can trade them their rubbish for brand new like filament that comes out of our recycling facility that they can use in their 3D printers, and their kids can actually start printing stuff out of bottles that they have collected. Um, so it's actually empowering the kids to do the collection, but then also the reprocessing. They're the ones turning it into new products. They're making new things. They're thinking about, well, instead of going down to I don't know, office works and buying a, a pen holder, I can design one of my computer and print it out of recycled bottles. Uh, the other day I needed a, some curtain rail holders in my nursery. Instead of going down to Bunnings and buying them, I printed some out out of recycled bottles. Like, we can now pass on the, uh, enable our entire school community to actually do the reprocessing and making products and stuff out of recycled bottles, which is the educational value behind that is just huge. Um, with uh, with PET, like let's say uh, the the schools take back the filament or buy the filament um, on credit and um, and they use it. Can they then, when they're dis- when they're finished with the the product from the three D printer, then recycle it again? Is that possible? Yeah, absolutely. As long as they're just printing in PET, we're just going to make sure they don't put other filament types like ABS and PLA and all that sort of stuff into the collection bin. But yeah, right. PET can be recycled over and over and over again. And so when we have the collection bins on the schools, they can put in their um, bottles and all that sort of stuff. But they can also put any items that they have printed that they no longer want or maybe the print failed or whatever. And when we take it back to our factory, it just goes straight back into the shredder. Like, the shredder, it doesn't have eyes. It doesn't know whether the shape of the thing coming in is a bottle or some little 3D-printed gizmo. Like, it just sees it as more plastic. It shreds it down. We melt it, reprocess it. The machines have no idea. So, yeah, it can just be recycled over and over again. And it's it's not just... Um, 3D, the bottles and the 3D printed stuff. We have thousands of products in our supermarkets that are packaged in PET. Your strawberry punnets and your bakery stuff and even cat litter and razors. And I just got a USB uh, SD adapter that came in PET packaging. Like there is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of PET products out there in addition to water bottles. So we're actually a part of our messaging is encouraging kids to stop using water, like plastic water bottles like, and use a reusable like, um, because there is so much plastic. We are not going to run out of plastic to feed this factory. In fact, we've got the opposite problem. We've got too many people wanting to give us um, their plastic that we just don't have. Like, We're going to have to find other products once we get launched beyond 3D printer filament because there is so much plastic in this world. It's a, a phenomenal space. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
Are you finding that you're getting support from uh, local councils and, and government bodies? Is, I mean, you know, are you going to them for help with this project or are you really just relying on people power? Yeah, so we have had some quite interesting dialogue with the, the Waste Authority here in Western Australia as well as the Minister for Environment. Um, I was just on the phone with the chairman of the Waste Authority yesterday and on Facebook Messenger with the Minister of Environment and trying to get them on board. They are very supportive. And they love what we're doing. They love the educational value. That They love the fact that we're doing waste avoidance, which is the, the message about stop using single-use plastics, as well as the resource recovery. So it ticks a lot of their boxes. Um, and there is a grant round coming up, which they've suggested that we apply for. So that's a, a good sign. Hmm. that we will get some support. Um, we did actually apply for that grant back in February and it didn't quite make it through. Um, we were very early. We actually applied for all the, the infrastructure, the machinery behind it, but yeah. just through their rulings, they're not allowed to fund that sort of stuff. So we've got to apply for some other bits and pieces in the next round. Um, so it's looking very, very promising. Like they, like The WA government has just come on board. They've supported the container deposit scheme our Premier, Mark McGowan, was actually advocating for the Contained Deposit Scheme back 10 years ago, well before he was the Premier. So he has been a plastic kind of warrior for over a decade now. Um, and since he's come into government, he's banned plastic bags here in WA. So we've got a, a plastic bag That's fantastic. coming in, which is fantastic. Contained Deposit Scheme. And now I'm trying to convince them to get behind. So we've got the collection scheme, the contained deposit scheme, which collects the bottles. Now I'm trying to work with them to actually go to that final step of reprocessing. My sort of story to them is, well, it's amazing that we're doing collection. Well done. But what happens to those bottles once we collect them? We have to reprocess. There's no point just doing more collection if there's still zero reprocessing, if you ask me. Um, so, yeah, we're having dialogue. They haven't said no. Um, we haven't got the money sort of in the bank from them yet to support it, but the fact with the crowdfunding campaign that in two weeks the public has put up $50,000 towards this is a huge start to show our government that the people really care. And so we actually want to increase that. I think we've got something like 350 contributors behind this in the public. Our drive right now, we've got another eight days left until this campaign closes on the 17th of November. We want to get that to 1,000 people behind us um, and see how much money we can raise towards this, um, just to show the government that people really care about this and to give us the ability, like our next machine is a machine that helps us remove all the labels and that sort of stuff from the mix. And then there's another machine after that which removes all the lids. So it is an expensive process um, to set up a recycling plant, um, but we've, we've started. And that's the most critical step with getting something off the ground is taking it from just an idea, like the entrepreneur with a million ideas, we've committed, we're doing it, we've now started, got the funds to start the collection system with the schools, so plastic is going to be coming into our doors, so that's a very big incentive for us to push really hard to get that reprocessing, and I'm committed to this 100% to, to make it happen, but I do need the, the public to get behind me to make it happen, I am only one person, I do have a great team of volunteers behind Green Patch, and Lots of kind of support coming through on the social media and all that sort of stuff, but we do need the, the crowdfunding support as well to make it happen. So tell us for our listeners, um, 
Darren, what is the uh, how do they how do they find the platform? Uh, yeah. Which crowdfunding it's on? Um, yep. That sort of thing for the, for the, the people. That the have. easiest way probably is if people jump onto their Facebook and just type in Green Batch and they'll find our Facebook page and on there is all our videos and all our messages and links to the crowdfunding campaign and all that sort of stuff. So um, Green Batch is in the colour green and the word Batch, B-A-T-C-H, Green Batch, and they'll, they'll find our page and, and they'll find our... It's, the campaign is actually called War on Plastic. Um, so, yeah, it's all over our Facebook page, so you can't miss it if you get onto Facebook and, and do a quick search. Darren, a question for you, for you on a personal level. Does this light you up? Oh, absolutely. So, what's um, your what's your vision then for the future? Yeah. What is your what is your ultimate dream? Yeah. So, on the lighting me up, the thing that really triggered me about that 2050 more plastic in our oceans than fish is I have a one and a half year old daughter. I did some quick mental math. By the time 2050 comes, my one and a half year old daughter is going to be exactly the same age as I am right now. And I think I put my parent hat on, take off my entrepreneur hat. And I think about my daughter living in a world where our plastics are swamping our oceans. And I think of that as a legacy that me and my friends and my colleagues and the rest of Australia have left behind for her, and I'm kind of disgusted. So that is something I'm not proud of, and it's something that I want to change. And waking up every morning to change that for my daughter is what lights me up. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's what makes me keep on going. You can't be, I don't know, I can't think of anything that I'm more passionate about right now than I'm, changing that. Darren, I mean, you've, you've, you've got a couple of friends here because we, uh, we, we think, that Brett and I think the uh, along a similar vein. Um, I, I do um, want to ask you, like, in your opinion, uh, you know, a lot of the responsibility for all this PET uh, plastic pollution has to be placed on manufacturers. In your opinion, why do you think it's not being done. Yeah. Do you know what? Like, for the last 10 months, I have heard so many people handballing responsibility from one department to one entity, from the manufacturers to the supermarkets to the, the retailers that put their product into the end users, the government. Like, no one wants to take responsibility for it. And to be honest, like, I'm just really sick of hearing handball, so I've just yep. put my hand and go, I'll freaking take it on. Like, let's stop making it someone else's problem. Someone needs to do it. No. Let's come on board. And I have had conversations with every single one of those. I've had conversations with the managing director of Coca-Cola. I've been in boardrooms with Coles, uh, West Farmers, and Woolworths. I've had state government. I've been speaking to all these, even the oil and gas industry that produces petroleum. And trying to get their support behind all this. They're all really freaking slow. They all want someone else to be, take responsibility, not them. But, like, if we sit back and wait for someone to take responsibility, it ain't going to happen, if you ask me. Not anytime soon. So I'm, I'm not, I don't want to play that handball game. I'm just going to take responsibility and say, hey, let everyone take responsibility, not put on one. Every one of those entities should be responsible from the, the plastic uh, manufacturers, the oil and gas industry, the, the companies like Coca-Cola put their product in, the supermarkets that sell it, the consumers that buy that product, the local government who does the recycling system, our waste authorities, 
everyone needs to be a part of this to make this solution. It's not just one person's problem, it's everyone. So do That's you why th- I put the crowdfunding campaign, the public can be involved, and we're working with the state government and trying to get everyone to chip in rather than putting it back onto just one element in the chain. Because without a chain, you need every one of those elements of the chain to be a chain. So it's not just one person's problem, if you ask me, it's everyone's. So do you think that, that, that it's just a case of nobody wants to be the first person to put their hand up as far as, you know, from in that chain, you go, I take it you go into their boardrooms and they all wax lyrical about how they really want to see the change, but then when you walk out they go, oh, we're not going to be the first to do it. Is, do you think that's what happens and that's why there's this inertia towards action? Um, yeah, there's, it's an interesting one because as soon as an entity puts up their hand and puts a little bit of, like, takes a little bit of accountability, all of a sudden, the environmental world, there's a lot of really strong advocates in the environmental world who want to just push blame on people really, really hard and go really hard on these companies. So if they put up any support, all of a sudden they get hammered and they have to do everything. Um, And it's actually a really, like demotivating thing for people to put their hand up. They're worried about a tall poppy kind of syndrome. You put your, your head up and it gets chopped off. Mm. So why would anyone want to take that risk? And that's why I'm taking it. I'm trying, I as an individual, and obviously I'm not the entire environmental sector, mm. I'm not putting blame on all these people. I'm saying, here's a solution. This is reprocessing. Let's all work together rather than trying to say, this is your fault. You solve it. Um, so it's a different approach. It's a bit more of a friendly approach rather than an attacking approach. Um, we'll see sure. how that works for us, eh? So, uh, so really what you're saying, Darren, and to use George's analogy um, of the, the kicking off the football match, really what you're saying is to cheer for the team, not against the team, rather than being the... Uh, what happens a lot of the time with advocates is they tell you all the bad news rather than telling you the great solutions that are out there. Uh, From what I gather from you, that's what you're advocating, and I think that that's uh, really commendable. Yeah. Well, I I I run business, and when when employees and people come to you with ideas to solve a problem, absolutely, let's go for it. But if people just come with problems, it's just whinging. That doesn't help anyone, like... I can go on and rattle all the stats about pollution and 1,500 bottles a second in the ocean. Rah, rah, rah. Like, people know that. But how do we solve it? And that, to me, is the, the thing we've got to focus on. is solutions. Like, what is the solution? How can we be proactive? How can we change this? Like, there's lots of problems out there. And that's, that's the entrepreneur in me. I'm a, and the engineer in me. I'm a problem solver. Like, it, finding problems is easy. Like, finding solutions is a lot harder but that's where change happens. And once so, you've got a viable solution, um, we've got a viable solution here right now. So anyone that has ever complained about plastic or concerned about their plastic not being recycled, here's a solution. Stop complaining. Get on board and help us make it happen. Uh, we want to, you know, from George and I, we want to we wish w- you all the success. And, and look, if there's anything we can do, from from here, we uh, we're certainly available to uh, assist in any way we can. Yeah. I, need, I I want to commend you, uh, Darren, because you're um, like I said, at the vanguard of growing awareness, and you're doing your more than your bit to to uh, grow that awareness in in consumers. 
yeah, uh, it's just when pe- it's just too important to stand by and just let it happen. Like, yeah. And, yeah, it's if everyone did their little bit to make this happen, then it's going to happen. And like you asked me before, what my goal or vision was this 3D printer filament. We're estimating will take about two million bottles out of landfills, oceans, and incinerators every year. My goal is 100 million bottles every year by 2025. That's my target that I've set myself. Fantastic. So we've got a long way to go, but I want to finish off with a saying that I heard a little while ago. And like, if you wait for all the traffic lights to be green before you leave to go to work, you're never going to leave. Sometimes you just need to get in your car and go and just deal with one step at a time and just start moving in the right, right direction. Yeah, that's a great I've heard philosophy. a lot of advocates say, well, we have to ban plastic or manufacturers need to take full responsibility or government or whatever. And these really big, grandiose things, but they've not actually made any progress. And that's, yes, keep fighting for that big, huge thing, but let's also make those small incremental steps to start moving in the, the right direction. I think we need to attack it from both avenues from ground up and top down and hopefully we'll meet somewhere in the middle uh, but we've got to move that's it's fantastic Darren that's fantastic look um, Thank thanks, you, Darren. For, thanks for taking the time to uh, have a chat with us and we'll check in in a, you know in, in six months or a year's time and see where you're at and uh, good luck with everything we hope it goes really fantastic. well I hope in 12 months time we have got to that point where we have got our very first role of 3D printer filament from bottles coming off the production line because that's a huge, huge milestone. Once you've done one, it's just then copy and replace, copy and paste. Yep. And so that is my goal, is to have our first product out in 12 months' time. We'll, uh, we'll keep an eye out on social media for that photo of you uh, with a big <laughs> smile. Cool. Thank you very much for your time. <laughs> Thank you, Darren. Thank, thanks, Darren. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Cheers, guys. Bye.